Welcome to Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, the preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault in Springfield, Illinois. Sexual violence has been recognized by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention as a serious public health problem in the United States, affecting millions of people each year of every gender, race, sexual orientation, and age. It can have lasting, harmful physical and psychological effects on not just the victims, but their family and friends as well. Instead of being reactive to sexual violence incidents, the CDC has put together a collection of strategies aimed at preventing it. One of the most effective primary prevention strategies is bystander intervention. The bystander intervention approach recognizes that all people can positively impact the elimination of sexual violence in their community by identifying unhealthy behaviors that could lead to violent encounters and then safely intervening before sexual violence can happen. Other key elements of bystander intervention include discouraging victim blaming, which can be a significant contributing factor in why survivors don't come forward and report. And bystander intervention can also help change social and community norms, which the CDC says is essential in preventing sexual violence. Joining me today is Jane Stapleton. Jane is the president and co-founder of Soteria Solutions and the director of practice at the Prevention Innovations Research Center, an organization identified as CDC's gold standard in sexual violence prevention. Jane herself is internationally recognized for her work in developing and implementing effective bystander intervention prevention strategies in workplaces, educational institutions, and the U.S. military. She has even testified in front of the U.S. Senate and Congressional Committees on Best Practices and What Works Best in Prevention. Jane is also the co-author of Bringing in the Bystander, or BITB, a proven research-informed curriculum designed to give individuals the tools to safely and effectively intervene in potentially dangerous situations. BITB was released in 2015 through Soteria Solutions and is now being utilized in over 500 colleges, universities, and higher education partners in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Sweden. Locally, the program has been offered at Lincolnland Community College and Illinois College. So, Jane, first, thanks for joining us. And secondly, thanks for having me. let's start at the beginning. What exactly is bystander intervention? So, bystander intervention is really an approach to preventing sexual and relationship violence and stalking that really approaches community members. So, all community members as having a role to play in both stopping sexual and relationship violence and stalking, but really at a more fundamental level at really creating an environment, whether or not it's an educational environment or a learning environment or um, a living environment, if we're talking about college and university residence halls or a workplace that supports safe, respectful, healthy relationships between community members. So I think, you know, historically, um, sexual assault prevention has typically approached women as victims or potential victims and men as perpetrators or potential perpetrators. And when I first started in this field decades ago, that really was kind of how we attempted to stop sexual assault and domestic violence. And so where we're at now as a field is that we are really looking to see how can we mobilize a community or leverage community members to really create the environment that we all really want to live, learn, and work in. And so it's about community members taking responsibility for stepping in and stopping something that's problematic if they see something problematic happening or if they have a sense that 
There are elements of people's attitudes and behaviors that might be sort of going down a path that could potentially lead to a dangerous or potentially problematic situation. We want them to intervene to stop the behavior and to send clear messages to those people who are causing the problematic behavior or potentially perpetrating that their behavior is not acceptable and it's not reflective of the majority of the population. So it's an engaging the community to, to step in. And I think one of the interesting things about it, and you, you kind of hit on it a little bit, is sexual violence doesn't tend to just pop up out of nowhere. A lot of cases, right. if you look back, you see an escalating level of behaviors, and that's really why bystander intervention is so important. It's to literally find those places where we can step in and redirect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such a great um, point, Deb. I mean, I think um, when we started to develop bringing in the bystander, what we really wanted to do was to create a primary prevention program. So a program that involved uh, building participants' knowledge as well as skill level to be able to recognize potentially dangerous situations or problematic situations before they happen, because that's what primary prevention is. It's sort of stopping a problem before it even gets to be a problem. And so it's sort of the little things that, you know, create an environment that's hostile towards, you know, certain populations or certain identity groups. It's little behaviors that oftentimes go unrecognized, but essentially begin to create this foundation for problematic behaviors to be accepted or normalized. So, yeah, we want to we stop the behavior before it really becomes problematic in any way. And so that's part of what we do in Brain the Bystander is to really teach people to intervene before it becomes a problem. So that's our goal, but we recognize that we need to teach people before, during, and after. And so that's what the program does in a very, again, skills-based way, because that's what prevention is. It's not just giving people knowledge, it's giving people knowledge and skills and providing the opportunity for them to practice those skills so that they can put them into action when they recognize potentially problematic or problematic situations. And I think that's one of the things that when most people see a situation that feels uncomfortable to them, that you're witnessing something, you're like, ah, that just doesn't look right. But a lot of times people don't know how. There may be a lot of reasons why you can't or don't intervene at a time, but a lot of the times people just don't know what to do. And uh, when I went through the bringing in the bystander training, I thought you did an excellent job of uh, doing uh, some role-playing scenarios where it's not as hard as people think. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. people think you have to put on your cape and you have to jump in and a, ta-da, I'm here. And it's really fairly simple at, at the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's such a great, you make a lot of really good points, Deb. I think one of the, the things that's really important um, is that by, uh, at least bringing in bystander is a very research-based and sort of evidence-informed, research-informed prevention strategy. And What we know actually from early bystander intervention research is that you're much more likely to intervene in a situation if you're able to recognize that situation is problematic. You're much more likely to intervene if you have um, had a role model or you've seen somebody else intervene in a situation similar to the one that you've just recognized. And you're much more likely to intervene if you actually have practiced 
intervening. And so again, that's why bringing the bystander is very skills based. That was really, really very important to us. And I think, you know, we do have these ideas, you need to be a superhero to be a bystander. And the reality is that you can be a bystander in multiple ways. And we really want people to intervene in ways that are people feel comfortable in intervening. So I might intervene in one way, and you might intervene in a different way. But we're both intervening. And it's, you know, like my, my way might be very vocal, you might be more of someone who distracts the situation, you know, the individual. So there are multiple ways to intervene. And we make that really clear. And we have people really identify ways in which they would feel comfortable. And I think the other thing that's really important, and you started to pick up on it is, there are situations when people really don't know what to do and they choose not to intervene because they don't feel as if it's a safe situation. They feel like they don't know what to do and they feel like if they intervene, they actually might be causing harm. So essentially we want to train people and we want people to practice intervening before they're faced with a situation where they might freeze or they might feel like they don't have a whole lot of options. But there are many ways to intervene. And we've heard some great creative interventions over the years. So yeah, there are many ways to intervene. I think it's interesting that you bring up the idea that sometimes we don't want to intervene because personal safety is always a concern. And we certainly don't want to escalate. And that's one of the things that I really liked about bringing in the bystander is that sometimes you might find yourself delaying your intervention and it's kind of maybe in the middle, the behavior has already started or maybe it's already happened, but then mm-hmm. you can still be effective. You can still go talk to the the person who was affected by the violence and you can still offer positive help that really can make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I think personal safety is re- something we really um, emphasize we don't want um, bystanders putting themselves in harm's way or again potentially creating more danger for the person who has is the target so we really encourage people to you know know resources before you know make sure you know who can you count on to help you what are resources on you know your campus or in your community and we we would like people to safely intervene with someone else and at a distance. We know that that's sort of the safest place to intervene. People do intervene by themselves and up close, but, you know, ideally we want people working together and really leveraging resources. And again, to be creative and to think about what they feel comfortable with. I know everybody, some people do feel very comfortable going up and just calling someone out on their behavior, but another person might accidentally drop their drink on someone or invite the person who is the the target of the harassment or the violence and say, hey, can you uh, come into the kitchen and help me with something? Or it just, it's, and I think people, once they start doing it, realize all of a sudden all the different opportunities there are out there to make a meaningful difference without going out on that limb. Yeah, good point. Can you walk us through a little bit about how, if I'm, running, if I'm in charge of a college, I'm an administrator there, and I want to bring in bringing in the bystander for my campus to make it safer. How do we go about implementing this program? What are the first steps? Yeah, well, I mean, we certainly, we want to make sure that colleges and universities, first of all, know what their needs are. So uh, know the populations that you'd like to train as a bystander. 
And so if you have identified bringing the bystander as your choice, you would, you know, hopefully do a little research. Our, our development of bringing the bystander really came uh, or happened at the same time that we had several research grants where we evaluated the effectiveness of bringing the bystander. So, you know, you may have read one of our research articles about the effectiveness of bringing the bystander. You may have gotten onto the Soteria Solutions website, but um, you would contact Soteria Solutions. We have a lot of great information that talks about just what are frequently asked questions about the, the program, how long is it, how much does it cost, who can be trained, can students be facilitators, et cetera. So ask as many questions as you have. We really encourage people to, to be thoughtful in is bringing the bystander, the right bystander intervention program for you. We're happy to talk with you about what we offer. We are one of the bystander intervention programs that, again, feel very strongly that we can, and we've proven that we can, teach people to intervene before violence occurs. So that's sort of a philosophical commitment that we have. We teach people about the continuum of violence and how to intervene along that continuum. The other thing that we feel really strongly in is particularly for our college program that students, undergraduate students as well as graduate students can facilitate the program. We would always encourage whoever is facilitating it to make sure that they are well-supported and well-trained. We do not require our license holders to attend one of our trainings. And I think, again, that sort of distinguishes us from other bystander intervention programs. So you would need to decide, you know, do we have the internal capacity to teach ourselves how to implement this program? We have put together a really comprehensive facilitator guide that really goes through the program and the, the slides of the program. And we literally, in the facilitator guide, teach people how to facilitate the program. If you feel like you don't have the capacity at your on your campus to teach your facilitators how to implement the program, you can attend one of our Bringing the Bystander trainings, which I know you and one of your colleagues attended last week. And we teach you how to facilitate the program. We have an implementation guide that really helps campuses think through, okay, now that either we've been trained by Soteria Solutions or we've trained ourselves, again, which we allow you to do, or we've partnered with our community-based crisis center to do the training. But once you have purchased the program and you have either trained yourself or you've come to one of our trainings, we have an implementation guide that talks about how do you recruit facilitators, how do you recruit participants, how do you roll out the program, how do you decide what groups of students you'll implement the program with, et cetera. So we do have an implementation guide, but I think it's really important to think about where are our opportunities to implement the program? I know a lot of colleges and universities immediately think of bystander intervention and they say, oh, well, we need to train our first-year students because they're the most vulnerable or at risk for being victimized. And, you know, a lot of times what we say to campuses is, you know, really think about what is the information that your first-year students who are literally they're walking on your campus or now kind of in COVID times, maybe kind of remotely coming to your campus for the first time. What's the information that they need to know? And we really think that that's, you know, they need to know where the confidential 
on-campus and off-campus resources are. They need to know the, your student code of conduct. They need to know your state laws. And they need some very basic information about sexual assault, um, dating and domestic violence and stalking, and sort of baseline bystander intervention information. That's for students who are just coming on campus. So I would say bystander, you know, bringing the bystander is best implemented with students. If you're going to do it with first year students, do it, you know, their second semester or, you know, kind of in the middle of their first semester. We know that to be a bystander, you need sort of confidence in being a bystander, but also you probably have more social capital and feel more comfortable intervening once you sort of understand the sort of the lay of the land, if you will, of your campus. But I think these are all things that administrators should be thinking of. And um, one of the things that I actually co-authored with some of my um, colleagues at Prevention Innovations, and maybe I can share the link with you to share with your audience, is we put together actually a white paper for campus administrators on how to choose prevention strategies, what are the questions that you should ask, particularly vendors if you're purchasing a a program or if you're going to adapt a program. So, you know, we have lots of advice for campuses that do purchase bringing the bystander. One of the other things that we have that's been really, I think, beneficial for license holders, both for our college license holders, and we do have a, a high school curriculum as well that is um, has sort of some of the, the main tenets of the college version, but actually is more developmentally appropriate and is structured in a different way. But we have um, listservs that let our license holders join for either our high school listserv or our college listserv. And there's a lot of great dialogue really among the license holders. And we pay one of our lead trainers to facilitate and moderate the listserv. And then all of our trainers, as well as the three authors of Bringing in the Bystanders, so myself and my colleagues, Caroline Leva and uh, Bobby Eckstein, are all in the listserv. And so we all regularly contribute. We really, you know, we really value the, the license holders that we have. We know that you have invested in us and we want to invest in you. And so we want to make sure that you have your questions answered and the resources that you need to implement the program. And the license holders have also been really supportive of one another, particularly during COVID. Bringing the Bystander was developed and evaluated as an in-person bystander intervention program. And, you know, certainly as of last March, I think all of our, our work and our teaching lives have really been somewhat upside down and some of our license holders are completely remote. Some of them are in person and we held what we call virtual water cooler sessions where we listened essentially to our license holders over a five or six month period to sort of listen to what are they and their target populations experiencing in their campuses and communities and how can we really pivot bringing in the bystander and what we know works best in prevention, what we know works best in online learning to make sure that bringing the bystander really meets their needs. And so we sort of put together a guide for implementing bringing the bystander virtually. We understand that this is sort of a unique time that both our um, organizations are living and working through as well as, again, our, our target audiences. So we want to be responsive to what's happening on campuses and communities now. 
Obviously, we're here for our, like, our license holders. So if you know, administrators have questions or preventionists have questions, we're you know, more than happy to hop on the phone or um, communicate via email. I know when we were doing the training last week, one of the things that uh, the facilitator had commented on is that uh, this is, I think, like the third edition or so yes. of, of bringing yeah. in the bystander, which is great because that's showing that as, as you're researching, you're, you're, we're learning more things, we're, we're becoming better at what we're doing. What are some of the key yeah. differences that or changes that you've noticed over the year as you've recreated this program? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that one of the one of the big things that we have really adjusted in version three, and you know, I, again, I'm thinking historically. So we developed bringing the bystander in the early 2000s, and it was developed by a National Institute of Justice grant, where we developed the program to focus specifically on violence against women, and so here we are. And what we what we know is that um, women are not the only victims of dating and domestic violence and stalking. We know that they are the majority of victims, but they're they are not the only ones who are victimized. Uh, and similarly, men are not exclusively the perpetrators, although they are the major the majority. So, again, in 2020, we're in a really different place in how we talk about sexual and relationship violence and stalking. And so the new version really kind of acknowledges the multiple identities of folks who are victimized as well as those that perpetrate. The other thing that we have really been very aware of is early on in 2000, when we talked about bystander intervention actions and what can you do if you see something that's happening right now, like in the moment, or you're responding to something that has just happened. One of our immediate uh, suggestions for bystander intervention was call 911 or call the police. And I think, again, we're in 2020, we're at a point in time where we recognize that calling 911 or the police might not be the, the first choice or the best choice for everyone. We certainly know based on, again, individuals' identities that given both historical experiences of populations as well as individual experiences, they may not have always had positive experiences calling the police. So we have really talked about how do our identities influence the kind of bystander intervention actions we choose. And again, to really validate, well, I might feel comfortable calling the police as a, as a white woman, a black woman very much may not feel comfortable calling the police. And there are very valid reasons why that's true. So I think we, we have really sort of shifted in thinking about how do our identities really impact the bystander intervention choices that we've made, as well as really thinking about what are the range of bystander intervention actions and supporting our participants in what they choose. So I think those are those are two very specific things that have changed and shifted over the years. And then I think um, what we have always done is really encouraged our license holders to think about how do you adapt bringing the bystander to make sure it really resonates with your target audience. And so I think we have gotten a lot 
more precise in saying to our license holders, this is a place in the curriculum that we really want you to adapt. For example, the bystander stories, right? Choose something that's relevant to your community. Choose something that will resonate with your community. So I think we've become much more specific in that. We've also, I think, you know, certainly with, you know, advances in technology and just graphic design, I think just the design of the program looks a lot better. And I think we also have really tried to be very cognizant of adult learning theory and making sure, particularly, you know, with this emphasis on the sort of the virtual pivot to bring in the bystander that we are really hoping, right, post-COVID, we'll go back to in-person. But those are just some of the changes that we've made. And I think we are kind of on the lookout for, okay, what are the things that are working and not working? Or what kind of feedback are we getting from our license holders? And we do ask for feedback. We want to know how we can enhance what we're doing. So I know when when I went through the training, uh, the things that that really struck me was it has a, a great progression where, and this is one thing that the facilitator said, you know, when you're, when you're approaching and you're, and you're inviting people to train, let them know that this can get kind of intense, that we are talking about sexual violence. And there's unfortunately a reality that we're facing that some of the people in your training have probably already experienced sexual violence on some level, but you, you start off with having people share times when they may or may not have intervened. They had an opportunity and they may or may not have intervened. And you ask everybody why, and there's no accusation, but it really kind of sets the stage where you're sharing and all of a sudden you're very invested. By the end, you're doing an exercise that is very intense, that tries to create a sense of empathy. And I think that that is so important that once you can empathize, the likelihood of you intervening becomes so much higher. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, the the program is really based on early bystander intervention research. Really, that was spurred by the the Kitty Genovese case in 1964. And again, that early research that said you're more likely to intervene if you're able to recognize the situation is problematic. You have a role model. You practice being a bystander. Somebody has asked you to assist Um, And then we sort of pair that with more recent research. And I know you had Dr. Alan Berkowitz um, on the the podcast a a little bit earlier. Um, And, you know, his work on social norms has, you know, also influenced bringing the bystanders. So we really are looking to motivate and leverage uh, bystander action and community responsibility to really change social norms. So, yes, it's very informed by by what we know works in prevention and bystander intervention. And it, and it is very much a progression. Again, we are not, I think because we don't approach people as, you know, you're part of the problem. We really start, we approach people as you're part of the solution and we need you, your community needs you to, you know, creatively think about what it means for you to be a community member, how you can positively contribute to this community and I think that really, you know, I think that really resonates with people. And I know that, yeah, I, that's a lot of the feedback we've gotten is that we don't make people feel defensive. You know, we're not blaming men or we're not blaming women. You know, we're acknowledging that that uh, 
folks of multiple identities are victimized as well as can perpetrate. So I inviting people to the table to really help us creatively think about how do we solve this problem that is, you know, it's not normal, it's not natural, and it's not, we don't have to accept it as that's just the way it is. We have the ability to really mobilize individually and then more on a community level to to change the reality in our community. And I think that's a message maybe now more than ever that people really want to be part of something that is, is positive. So I think that that's, we very intentionally have put the program in the sequence that we have so that we're inviting people into the conversation and again, teaching them knowledge and skills so that by the end, they are sort of walking away with their own personal, we call it a personal plan of action, right? They think of a situation and that they really can apply the knowledge and the skills that, that they've just learned over the the session. So and practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, you know, there is no perfect way to be a bystander. I mean, I think we we really just want to acknowledge that there are lots of ways to be bystanders and it might feel awkward or it 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 you know, a lot of us need to really in some ways just just get rid of the conditioning also that we have been either brought up with in our families or our communities or um, you know, the messages we've gotten from the media that, you know, particularly in, you know, intimate relationships, it's sort of like not your business to intervene. Many of us have been sort of, again, either formally or informally, we've received those messages. And it, it's time to really think about, okay, it, it actually, intimate partner violence is everyone's problem. It's not just the couple that you know, where this is being perpetrated, it, it hurts the entire community. So how can the community respond in a, again, a respectful, kind and nurturing way to let everyone know that that behavior is not acceptable? Now, I know with some of the research has indicated that uh, the training that you do with bystander intervention, not with just bringing in the bystander, but any bystander intervention plan the effectiveness tends to diminish over time. How often do you recommend institutions, colleges, high schools, workplaces, whatever, how often do you recommend that they offer training like this? We think it should be happening all the time. Um, and, you know, what we, what we know kind of works in prevention is that a sort of a one-shot um, approach. So kind of like, well, we offer bringing the bystander. We, we've got sexual violence prevention covered really is just one, you know, bringing the bystander is just one piece of the, the solution. So, um, you know, we really encourage uh, campuses to think about how do you build on bringing the bystander? How do you engage your community in conversations or in social marketing campaigns? And actually that's one of the things that both we've researched and we offer Soteria Solutions is a, um, a bystander intervention social marketing campaign called the Know Your Power Bystander Intervention Social Marketing Campaign. And it essentially are a series of images which can be portrayed digitally or um, you know in paper format that demonstrate bystander behaviors and how to intervene. So a campus or a community really shouldn't have just one approach to sexual violence prevention. You want to be offering multiple prevention strategies in multiple formats. 
You want to make sure that they're developmentally appropriate. So, for example, what you're offering your high school students should, you know, be different than what you're offering your college students should be different than what you're offering your workplaces. And while they might have similar tenets or, you know, core ideals, you want to just make sure that they're developmentally and age appropriate. So, you know, how we use Know Your Power in conjunction with bringing the bystander is we use it actually as a booster that reinforces the key messages of bringing the bystander. You know, there's a lot of also kind of free bystander intervention things that are, you know, available online. There's a great thing that comes out of New Zealand that's called Who Are You? It's like a seven-minute video that sort of takes you through three and a half minutes of a a scenario where a group of friends are together and there's a lot of drinking and they go to a club and there's a, a, a member of that group that really is targeting one, an, another person, really kind of making them drink. And you can tell that his, his behavior is sort of very perpetrator-like. And, you know, halfway through the video, he's about to sexually assault her. And then they rewind the film and they sort of show the different people throughout the night that sort of see his behavior and how he they could have intervened and then they show them intervening. What can you do if you see someone, you know, really kind of like encouraging very forcefully someone else to drink when they are already very intoxicated? What can you do? So, um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do that build off bringing in the bystander that are very skills-based that, you know, come from bringing in the bystander or things that are available or that you can create. So we really want to encourage prevention as sort of an ongoing practice. And that's where, you know, your sort of practice makes perfect. I mean, I think what we want to do is develop the sort of the brain muscle memory so that we're not just practicing bystander intervention, you know, like once a year when we go through the training or, you know, every other year. It should be an ongoing, day, you know, almost daily practice. We would encourage daily practice. We've been talking with Jane Stapleton. She's the president of Soteria Solutions and director of practice at the Prevention Innovations Research Center. Getting ready to wrap things up. So, again, uh, where can people find more information on bringing on the bystander and the other work you are doing? Yeah, so, um, you know, contact us at soteriasolutions.org, and we've got a, a great website that talks all about bringing the bystander and know your power. And we have also, we've got a great blog series, and in particular, we've been trying to be very responsive to both our license holders, but also anybody who visits our webpage um, about COVID-19 and how um, COVID and our very intentional public health practices of Stopping COVID could have an effect on increasing some forms of sexual and relationship violence and stalking, and at the same time, kind of decreasing our recognition. We call that the seesaw effect of COVID. So there's a lot of really great resources related to COVID and sexual and relationship violence and stalking, too. So visit us at soteriasolutions.org. We'd love to have a conversation with you about our prevention strategies and approach. Jane, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Deb, and thanks for all your work and your, um, your colleagues at um, the Prairie Center.
Thank you very much. This has been Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault. If you would like to bring Bringing in the Bystander to your college, Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault can provide training to those in the central Illinois area. You may call our offices at 217-744-2560, or you can send me an email requesting more information at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault supports children and adult survivors of sexual violence through counseling and legal and medical advocacy in 11 central Illinois counties. Our main office is located in Springfield, Illinois, with satellite offices in both Jacksonville and Taylorville. You can find out more about our services at our website at prairiecasa.org. This program is supported by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Points of view or opinions contained in the program are those of Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault and our guests and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policies of these grantors. Thank you for listening.